0: It's actually 11 years since I went for a hike with my husband and two other couples and so we did the Hinchinbrook walk from south to north. The second day I got to a very steep part, and before I could even take a step, I was tumbling and landed on my back and my arm had gone limp. I thought I'd done something to my arm, not recognising, of course, the limp arm is a classic sign of a spinal injury.
1: In this series, we constantly ask people what supports and services they have used to get through their challenging times. We often think of those as a physical support, but today's episode focuses on a different kind the spiritual supports offered by Amanda Nixon's faith that she has used to get her through her physical and mental challenges. The Townsville Community Information Centre acknowledges and pays respects to the Woolgarugaba and Bindal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded. I'm with Amanda Nixon this morning. Thank you for joining me. Good morning, lovely to be here. Thank you. You've got um, an amazing story and you've put your story into a book called Living by Faith. Yes. And I thought I would just start, I wanted to read off this first passage of, of the introduction of your book. This book is for anyone who is going through some struggles, challenges or fears and is wanting to find out how living by faith can make a difference. I certainly have had more than a few of these in my life. Let's talk about it. You, you're you into hiking? Yes. I love the bush. I love nature. Yes. Yeah. Reading your book, you have grown up and done a lot of camping and a lot of hiking and a lot of getting away. And Hinchinbrook seems to be a beautiful place, but a place that hasn't been very kind to you and your family. No, no, it hasn't. <laughs> yeah. So the the first one I want to talk about is your family camping trip that you took to To Hinchinbrook on the ferry. Yes, so
0: my husband and I and our three young children went to camp on Gould Island, and we'd camped there a couple of nights. Um, Me and the three children had gone across by ferry, but they don't allow you to take camping gear. You have to have your own boat, and so my husband had brought our little dinghy over piled high with all the camping gear and that was fine. We had a lovely holiday. Kids love starfish and goannas and all the things that you see on a tropical island. And coming home, Daryl was all set to head off with the gear in the little dinghy and the two girls wanted to go. So they hop in the boat with Dad with their life jackets and off they go. And I was just waiting with my son for the ferry that was going to pick me up at a prearranged time later that afternoon. And I just got this prompting to pray, like a real, a very strong prompting, pray for the safety of my husband and my girls. And I thought, oh, that's really strange. I don't often get that sort of prompting from the Holy Spirit, I believe. But I thought, okay, so I was praying really earnestly for their safety and protection, having no idea what had happened, and then when the ferry picked me up, I don't know, an hour later, I hop on the ferry and um, straight away they're asking me, oh, can you tell us the registration number of your husband's boat? And I'm like, what? No, I don't know what the registration... What colour is the boat? And I'm thinking, oh, I don't know, it's just a silver tinny, you know. Um, And apparently my husband had sent out a distress call using... The mobile phone, the boat had been flipped over with a sort of freak wave that came across. So he's upside, the boat's upside down um, with two little kids aged, what, eight and five, I think, in the middle of the Hinchinbrook Channel and he's dialled triple zero when he's got like half a bar left in the middle of the ocean and you have people answering from interstate saying, where, what, who, what channel, where's Cardwell? Um, But somehow the message got through and a whole lot of boats were looking for him. So there was Coast Guard, um, National Parks and Wildlife, Water Rescue. um, And the ferry that we were on was also told to look out because... They later told me finding an upturned tinny in the Hinchinbrook Channel which between Cardwell and Gould Island which is about 17 kilometres or something like that. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack. So I'd been praying before. Now I was really praying (laughs) that they would be found and that they would be okay. And when I got back to the jetty... um, off the ferry there's the ambulance lined up, police, fire.
1: Wow, so you've gone from panic and then Media. getting there to see how how serious this is.
0: Yeah. It would have
1: been absolutely gut-wrenching.
0: Well, I was worried but I was trusting God and so I was just pressing in even more in prayer, believing, well, God is a God of miracles and they would be found. And by the time I got to that... Um, the jetty, yes, they had been found and they were being brought in on a boat, a National Parks boat um, that brought them in and the ambulance assessed the girls who had mild hypothermia but nothing else. They'd been in the water for about an hour or so um, and I was just, you know, thanking God for sparing my family um, and for looking after them and answering my prayers.
1: Absolutely, because I could have been in a massive tragedy. Like,
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Really bad tragedy. So about 10 years ago?
0: Yeah, it's actually 11 years this week. um,
1: Yes, June?
0: Since I went for a hike with my husband and two other couples, so a group of six of us um, had planned to do the Thorsbourne Track on Hinchinbrook Island, which is a fairly remote wilderness walk and a fairly difficult walk, but in an absolutely beautiful location. And so we did the Hinchinbrook walk from south to north. Going along, the first day was fine. The second day, um, there were some very steep sections of track. And I got to a very steep part that I'd gone up. And I'm looking down thinking, oh, where am I going to put my feet? Um, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. And before I could even take a step, I was tumbling head over heels down this steep section of slope about three metres and landed on my back, um, jammed up against some rocks. And I thought, oh, I think I've done something to my arm. My arm had gone limp and I had pins and needles in two fingers in my right hand. I had a slightly sore neck, but I I thought I'd done something to my arm, not recognising of course a limp arm is a classic sign of a spinal injury. I just thought oh, I've bumped my arm, done something to my arm. And the others on my hike, you know, one was a National Parks Ranger, one's SES trained first aid. They were trying to assess was I okay, did I feel sick, you know, all these things and trying I'm to make... And reading your
1: story and you sound like a very resilient, strong woman who would be saying, I'm okay, I'm okay.
0: Yeah, and I thought I was okay because I didn't seem to have a broken arm or leg. I could still walk and the decision not to continue I thought no I should be able to keep going like yeah I'm a bit banged up but I'm I thought I was fine to keep going and they'd you know done the assessments as best they could short of having an x-ray machine so um, we'd also run into I think the next night a um, person that was a emergency emergency doctor and she sort of felt my spine and everything and short of having an x-ray you couldn't tell there was anything wrong yeah.
1: So you've continued on for the next couple of days? Yes so you popped a lot of Panadol?
0: I did pop a lot of Panadol so as we still had a couple more days of walking we had a rest day the next day Um, every four hours I was needing Panadol my neck was just really sore and um, I was actually walking trying to hold my head up like with a human brace because if I looked I felt I couldn't look down it would cause just intense pain and on a hike you know you have a tiny little first aid kit that you take and so I'd already very quickly used up all the Panadol in my first aid kit and so I said to my friends does anyone else have some Panadol and they pulled all the Panadol from all the first aid kits and that sort of kept me going till we got to the end of the hike um When I got to Cardwell, um, because we stayed overnight in Cardwell when we came off the island and um, were getting a minibus back to Townsville the next day, I'd actually gone up to the ambulance station and asked, you know, would you have a collar or something that could support my neck? I've got a really sore neck from falling on a bushwalk. And they were like, oh, no, we don't have collars, you know. Um...
1: Better they do now.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, you could go to Ingham Hospital and get an x-ray if you're worried. And I'm thinking, well, I don't have a car. How would I get back? So I just made the decision to wait till I got back to Townsville the next day. And in the meantime, they suggested, oh, you could use newspaper wrapped around your neck or a towel as a um, support. So I used a towel wrapped around my neck in the minibus and... For a hot pack, I bought a hot water bottle from the IGA because I didn't have a hot pack or a cold pack or anything like that. So anyway, I got back to Townsville, saw my doctor, got referred for an X-ray and I just always remember when I got this phone call from my doctor on my mobile when I'm standing outside the X-ray place, Amanda, where are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm just outside the X-ray place and he's like... You need to go straight to emergency. Don't look down. Don't look sideways. You have an unstable neck fracture. Go straight there. And I'm like, oh, okay. That sounds a bit strange. How could I possibly have an unstable neck fracture? I've just been walking for days and tripping and stumbling and
1: but in a lot of pain. Doing yes, it?
0: yes, yeah, a bit of pain. Yep. And so I got to X-ray and uh, to the emergency and. I thought, oh, this won't take long. They'll give me a collar and send me home. (laughs) No, that was wrong. I realised this must be a serious injury. They wouldn't even lift my t-shirt off. They cut me out of my t-shirt, put on a sort of metal, very stiff brace around my neck while I were doing further assessments. Um, There were neurosurgeons consulting how they might stabilise this fracture. Would I
1: that's now a week old.
0: Yes, yes. So it took. It was five days from when I fell and broke my neck to when I'm arriving at emergency at the hospital. And that's why I'm thinking, how is this an emergency? It's like five days later. But they're telling me, yes, it's an unstable neck fracture. Um, they'd sent me for more MRIs by ambulance to another hospital to get the MRIs, to get all the assessments. They were talking about possible months in traction, Um, then they decided they would actually do surgery to stabilise between C6 and C7 which is where I'd broken my neck and so I now have a titanium plate with screws, I had a disc totally removed because it was squashed between C6 and C7 and I've got a spacer in that space and then I was also put in a halo brace. which I call a contraption that's. Um, yeah, it didn't <laughs> look comfortable. That stabilises. So you can't move your neck basically for three and a half months so that um, the neck would stay in the position it was supposed to be in. And, um, but I'm very thankful that I'm probably the least injured from someone that's normally in a halo brace and with a neck injury because I'm totally mobile and every doctor, nurse, neurosurgeon would say to me, oh, you're so lucky. Did you get chopped off Hinchinbrook? And I would be like, no, I kept walking for another three days. And I don't believe in luck. I totally believe that God was looking after me. And for whatever reason, my time wasn't up. And I'm not a quadriplegic and I'm not dead because God must have more plans for me, and I'm just thankful and give all the glory to him that he protected me and kept me safe, even though I had that unstable neck fracture.
1: It's, it's amazing and it's it's truly a miracle. Yes. You studied social work. Yes at I university. Did. What got you into social work?
0: I was interested in social work when I discovered my mother was a social worker which she only went back to working when I was 17 after my parents had separated. And I'd never heard of social work. And I thought, wow, what's that about? And when I learnt that it was a job where you could actually help people, I thought that's exactly what I want to do because of my strong Christian faith. I thought, wow, there's a job
1: where I can actually be helping people as my job. Yeah. So, so you mentioned your, your strong Christian faith. How does that align with social work because social work are really evidence-based research-based um, and, and scientific based how do, how do those two combine in that field?
0: I found it combines very well because social work is based on a lot of Christian ethics around social justice working with integrity, Um, and a passion for helping people so to me it was a perfect match it gives me the knowledge and skill base um, in the theories and the things that are taught in social work but my value base fits very well with the professional values of the profession
1: yeah were you working at the time of your accident
0: yes so I was working full-time at James Cook University as a lecturer in social work. I was on study leave trying to complete some of my PhD at that time and I'd taken a week's holiday. So then of course, I couldn't go back to work immediately but the university was very helpful in organising a graduated return to work. And so within a couple of weeks, I was back at uni part time, a couple of days a week, I think it was teaching a couple of subjects in my halo brace, feeling very conspicuous. <laughs> but um, You would have I was,
1: had all the class attention. I don't know. <laughs> they would have been focused. <laughs> yeah. So what, so what else had to get you through it in terms of what therapies did you need afterwards or physios or what other services did you have to use to get back on deck? So after my
0: surgery, um, my speech was actually affected from swelling from the surgery. I had to have speech therapy. I had difficulty swallowing but that only took a short period of time a couple of weeks and then when I took had the halo brace taken off I needed a lot of physio at that time to strengthen my neck muscles and so I did a number of exercises to strengthen my neck but again within a short period of time that was fine I've had doctors say to me oh so how are the headaches and I'm like what headaches and apparently that would be quite a classic thing would be ongoing headaches so I've had a a dream recovery
1: yeah that's great have you been back hiking since
0: I haven't done an overnight hike with a backpack but I have done day walks because I love yeah being in the bush
1: You also talk about within the halo brace as well, how challenging it was where you couldn't drive for so long, but bathing and just our everyday things that we take for granted, I suppose. In that time, Daryl, what kind of support? um, Because was he working as well? Yes, he was working. Um, He was also
0: away for a number of weeks on a trip. And so it was my daughters that um, provided a lot of support for me at that time. I can remember uh, Danielle, she's my middle child, was in year 12 on her L's. And so I went with her on driving lessons sitting in the halo brace trying to get her, her licence because I couldn't drive for three and a half months and we live out of town with no transport other than driving. And I can remember her going for her driving test and me sitting in the waiting area and she got her licence. So that was
1: very helpful. At that age that would be... Um every child's dream but isn't it yeah I yeah. have that kind of independence at that age isn't it
0: yes yes yeah
1: um you talk about your daughters um in one of your daughters in your book as well
0: one of my daughters actually had some struggles with mental health in her 20s and i found that particularly challenging myself um as a parent carrying a bit of guilt about had i given her mental health challenges because there's a history of mental health mental illness in my family and my husband's family and the decision to have children wasn't taken lightly.
1: And you talk about that as well that it was a very at first you didn't want to have children because that was one of your fears.
0: Yes so my mother had really encouraged me not to have children because of her belief about how strongly genetics play a role in mental illness. And so for a number of years, I'd considered not having children, but because my husband was keen to have children, but totally accepted my position, I suppose I got to the point of it being a step of faith to actually believe God, to look after my children. And so that was the step I took. And that was a huge step of faith for me to trust God, that he would help me raise a child, and look after my children. So I suppose down the track, when one of those children then had significant mental health challenges, um, that just really challenged my faith because I trusted God that they would be fine, and she is fine, but it was a challenge to my faith. And so I suppose it was, yeah, some of my fears around mental health, got the better of me for a little while but I had to learn to trust God again that um, through this difficulty um, my daughter's become stronger in her faith and I have now a much closer relationship with her than I did before so I believe through every difficulty and challenge that comes along um, God can use it for his purposes and for good whatever we go through.
1: And challenges help us grow as a person. Um, and as you said, it's also helped your relationship um, with your daughter to yes. make sure. So I think um, mental health is something that we all face at one stage in our life, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and there's many factors as to why we face it, but how we get through it is, is, another, is another thing, isn't it? So it's good to see. I like listening to your story about how you use your faith Um, and how you have used it through your life because we talk so much about the supports and the services that we use to get through challenges in our life and very rarely do we hear that people use faith as one of their supports or as their main support to get through their challenges in their life and you talk about it in such a beautiful way that it um, has helped you and what that has done for you yes and I think that's really good because it's not a support that um, people have probably considered much before um it, we know it's there but how do we use it so you're connected to really strongly with money with your church yes i am and yeah. um in terms of with your church what do they do to be able to connect and support to the community so like when you go like what does your church service um offer
0: so our church the church i'm connected with is called ic church in north ward in townsville and we have a Sunday morning service at 9.30. We have a youth group on a Friday night that has a lot of young people coming along. We have young adults groups. We have what we call connect groups during the week so that people can connect with a small number of people and get to know people and feel at home. Um, Very soon we're hoping to start offering food assistance on a Tuesday probably starting on the 29th of June because we've just recognised um, there's a lot of families doing it really tough at the moment and even the provision of something as basic as food supplies can make a difference. Um, so we're looking at developing that very soon. Yeah.
1: Um, so while the faith in God is a massive part of your life, it sounds like the people in the church as well Yes. Are also form a part of your networks or your village of support as well?
0: Absolutely. So I suppose when I've had some of my challenges in my life, I've found being able to share um, those stresses or worries with a couple of other people who have supported me and believed in me. So I certainly had some struggles finishing some study that I was doing. I was doing a PhD and I was racked with... um, anxiety and self-doubt and that I'd never be enough or it would never be good enough, it would never get there. So just having that handful of friends that believed in me and cheered me on to get over that finish line um, made a huge difference. So being able to yeah, share my worries with a couple of people and then we would pray together and I'd pray for their concerns and worries and that just made a huge difference to me.
1: Um, Also, early on in your life, and I'll go back a little bit now, um, dyslexia has played a a massive part in your life and who you are, I believe.
0: Yes. So, as a young child, I had very significant dyslexia. Um, My parents picked it up, my mother picked it up when I was, I think, like in grade one or grade two in primary school, believing me to be a bright child, but absolutely struggling with reading and spelling and so she actually changed me from the state school I was in to a private Christian school because she believed they would provide better support. Um, So I was the child that would study for hours trying to learn spelling and I would get two out of 20 correct 18 wrong Um, every time. I would spend hours and hours trying to learn these letters and I'd get them back to front all mixed up no matter what I did. Um, My mother took me to some sort of learning specialist at the time. I don't know, I just remember going for these tests and my mother and father would help me every night doing extra writing and reading practice with me. I can remember my mother actually made out of cardboard a big, um, like a post box for me to post a letter every night where I would have had to write something Posted in this post box and then my dad would mark it apparently so um, they tried to make it fun and but that was every night apparently for years trying to encourage me with writing and reading I hated reading I would read as little as possible because I struggled so much um, but I think by the time I got did to you den- have a
1: name for it then like by that stage did they know what it was
0: yes so yeah. dyslexia um I think was not well known at that time, but my mother was right onto it and connected me or connected herself with Spelled New South Wales. So that was Specific Learning Difficulties New South Wales, which was the organisation that helped people with dyslexia at that time. And she became very involved, became vice president, would go on radio and talk about dyslexia. So I think it was at the time where it was still not well recognised or understood And we were involved with Spelled for years, um, just to try to raise awareness and get people the support they need. So by the time I finished primary school, I think I was okay at reading and writing. Spelling was always a challenge. Um, But I got through high school fine and was able to get into university. So...
1: And through your university, you then not only got your degree, you went on to continue studying and you got your PhD and you're now Dr Amanda Nixon. That's right. You've <laughs> got an amazing career behind you where you have been in multiple positions and lectured at the university, supported a whole lot of students get through their placement as well as supervise them on their placements. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> like to get through that and then other little challenges you've had along the way and to come out with a career that you've had, I think is absolutely, truly inspirational to show that um, anyone can conquer their challenges and hurdles. We hear so many times children go, I'm not smart enough or, oh, you know, I could never do that. But they can and there's a way to get around it and knowing that is, is and having the perseverance to battle through that.
0: I think what made a difference is having someone believe in you.
1: Just even seeing your ad for,
0: you know, brave and wanting um, people to come forward. And I'd never really thought of myself as brave. But a few people have said to me since my book came out, oh, you're so brave and inspiring. And I'm like, really? You know, like it's... Yeah. And I think it, you don't even recognise it in yourself. But I I suppose I thought, well, if that helps someone else, you know. Yeah. That,
1: that's And that's what it's all about too, because you don't realise your story like you, what you've been through you know is is triumph but being able to share that and thinking your story is brave yes. is another thing and even having to share your story is yes. brave because writing it on paper is one thing but when you're saying it out aloud is a completely different different scenario your book living by faith you can get it on your website yes you can which is
0: amandanixon.com.au the book's also available as an e-book through Amazon it's also available at a number of bookstores including Koorong Books and the Mary Who Bookshop in Townsville that's
1: great Amanda thank you for joining me this morning thank you for being brave and sharing your story um, and I really hope that it helps someone in our community inspire them as well.
0: Thank you so much thank you
1: Brave is jointly funded by the Commonwealth and Queensland governments under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. This podcast is produced by Damien Lawarden.